0: You are listening to mining stock education where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment
1: opportunities
0: both from a technical standpoint and a valuation standpoint it just made sense to enter the name and i think uh, given sort of my my reach and my background both as an engineer and and now in the capital markets uh, business development space i think there's a great synergy here uh, between companies uh, and myself and my group to to really work together and and bring out the true value of these reservoirs.
2: Ten thousand barrels a day is a, a, you know huge target. Um, but is is that doable? Yes, we have the reservoir here. and we have uh, the technology to do it, and we have the infrastructure to do it. It's execution. A lot of production translates into huge margin as we reduce our OpEx. Yes, the opportunity is there.
0: I always look for a 10x plus when I want to make these strategic private investments. And uh, I see the the value here, I see the geology here, and I see a team that's that's been very competent. They've executed and now will continue to execute. What gets me so excited about getting involved at this point in the company's growth, um, I still have my legacy position, of course, but but getting involved through the placement at this time uh, is that... The company has achieved escape velocity.
1: Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, you're going to be learning about a company that I invested in last year in 2022 when it was in restructuring. Uh, This was a big bet that I placed. It's uh, one of the larger positions in my portfolio and I'm expecting great things over the next couple of years. It's an asymmetric bet in my opinion in that I believe it has a capped downside as a cash flow oil producer right now in Canada but it has exponential growth ahead of it. And one of the reasons why this story went unnoticed the last couple of years is because at the end of 2020, it fell into kind of a terminal position uh, with obligations. Production went down to 80 barrels a day and it went into a two year period of restructuring. And now the company is beginning to come out of all those legacy baggages. Things are restructured, debts have been settled. Production has now grown from 80 barrels today all the way up to 1,250. And the assets that the company owns produce over 10,000 barrels per day at its peak. So there's a lot of potential in the fields that the company owns over 400 million barrels of oil in place. So we're not talking about a small amount of oil, it's a large amount of heavy oil. And so there's your, your exponential growth. And if the oil price cooperates from the 20 to $25 million Canadian market cap we're at now, I think we're gonna see a multi-bagger and maybe a multi-multi-bagger from here. That's my opinion, that's why I invested. So coming on the show today to talk further about Prospera Energy is its president and CEO, Samuel Davis. Samuel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Also joining me is Chris Ludke. Chris, you're the vice president of financing and accounting with the company. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And Shabam Garg, Shabam, you are the internet's favorite oil analyst and Canadian oil stock analyst and investor. Welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Bill. And,
1: and your show, your uh, website is whitetundra.ca, Shabam, with White Tundra Investments. Samuel, I'd like to kick it over to you to start off with. As I mentioned, at the end of 2020, the company was in a terminal spot and you were brought in at that time on a part-time basis to kind of right the ship. Uh, why did you take on that position Why did you go through restructuring and not bankruptcy? And what was in it for you? Talk about the assets and why it was worth the battle the last two years.
2: Sure. Um, That's a very good question. I I actually wonder why did I take this on sometimes? (laughs) So um, I was associated with Prospera uh, due to my relationship with the previous CEO who passed away a couple of years ago. Prior to uh, 2020, and uh, and of course during the COVID, it amplified a lot of companies that were vulnerable with high operating costs. You know, and um, two years later, uh, the the ex uh, the wife the widow wife uh, called me and uh, and asked to assist uh, because the company, as you mentioned, was in a terminal position and i came on on a advisory position to just assess and the first thing i noticed was that it it you know the significant remaining barrels and 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 just a small amount of recovery from a primary vertical depletion uh, over 20 30, 20 years of uh, uh production and uh, lack of reservoir management applied and and further it's also the economic uh, so uh, his, histor- historical uh, the way that the company was uh, passed on. Uh, it was developed fully developed during peak times by multinationals. and then you know when the economic downturn, they transferred on to a, a intermediate and then again lack of capital and lack of uh, attention to the reservoir. Uh, you know, is transferred on to juniors. And the juniors don't have the technical and financial wherewithal to maintain such a large infrastructure and, you know, a numerous number of wells that are producing. And and the production continues to decline and really amplifies the high fixed operating costs of numerous wells that are drilled uh, on a a shorter spacing to recover the heavy oil. So all of this combined, uh, led to the terminal position. Of course, the COVID also uh, amplified that situation. And I think your s- second question was uh, how, um,
1: restructuring versus it, bankruptcy. It seemed like bankruptcy yeah, would be the easier ba-
2: bankruptcy. Uh, it, it was an ethical uh, question for me, moral and 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 my um, uh, and my passion, loyalty to Western Canada. Uh, many companies will go bankrupt and leave all the vendors uh all the people who contributed to the development uh behind and also uh, there will be orphan wells sitting there uh, at taxpayers burden uh so when we came on i see the opportunity and uh, of course the covid times things were had a very dismal uh circumstances for families and uh, and the communities and country itself. So I see a good opportunity and we did uh, invest ourselves to come out of the gate. And I told the story to people and a lot of uh, investors, prudent investors that let's put into bankruptcy, let's start out the clean slate. But I just couldn't do that. I leave all those people that owed money to uh, the vendors. So, I went and talked to all of the uh, tradespeople and there was a key person that assisted me with that. That is Matthew Ikena. And, uh, and I think that's a story you should follow up because he was actually one of those vendors that Prospero owed money to. You know, he was one of the highest uh, payables and arrears. And uh, he, he, he wanted to meet with me to work, work with the company to, to get production on so he can get paid. And uh, I avoided him for uh, at least a few months. And uh, and then finally I met with him after assessing the reservoir and the business situation and the legal uh, situation and talking to the vendors. Uh, Matt and I, we. Took numerous trips to Saskatchewan. We talked to the vendors, and we we said we cannot. The investors' money cannot go dollar for dollar and paying off arrears, but we can uh, we can do some sort of settlement, and we can give you shares, and you guys uh, could also uh, uh, you know benefit from the appreciation of the company that we will do. Uh, or some of them settled, and so there was various form. Of way of a settlement, and we did just do that over time. And these legacy arrears are still there, and not all of it, you know, is much reduced. But I think we will be able to get out of it this year as we have appreciated production, got past the break even point, and now, you know, having pre cash flow. But the key thing is, all that money goes right back into the uh, government and uh, into the ground and uh, to optimize wells. And, and to drill wells and upgrade the infrastructure and maintain the infrastructure, as well as paying off us the legacy arrears. So I, I think, if I say so myself, you know, there's there's a technical challenges we've come through. We've addressed all the low hanging fruit. We brought the infrastructure into safe operating condition, and we became compliant. But there's still more to do. Uh, but we're doing with very little uh, staff and resources. And uh, I think we got past the first point, you know, and we're also addressed. There, there's always disgrunt- uh, disgruntled people. We can't satisfy everybody 100%, but I think uh, towards the end of the year, this year is a big, huge uh, growth period for Prospera 2023 because we have transformed. We only got started in the middle of uh, 2021. So it's basically year, year and a half. It was a transformational year, and we accomplished a number of things. Especially, we became functional, understood the reservoir, you know, took many tests, and yeah, and, and and you know, understood the downhole pump situation, what works and what doesn't. So, this is a uh, weird position for a, for a incredible growth this year.
1: So, Samuel, you are a reservoir engineer. So, you looked at the asset, and the asset had to be enticing enough, didn't it?
2: I'm a reservoir development, engineering, exploitation, all of that over the years. And I've had production background being out in the field. Uh, it, you know, this company was mismanaged in every which way. And there was lack of attention, reservoir management to it. Uh, there was they were disposing water, and they called it water flood, over disposing and recycling. All kinds of things were happening, and it's a stripper operation. Uh, but it takes time to transform things and 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 redirect what was done to it for many many years. And uh, uh, and we have seen positive results so far. It's encouraging results.
1: So, Samuel, part of the capital or most of the capital to restructure came from two wealthy families, the Lacey family and the Richardson family, the Richardson family of Tundra Oil and Gas out of Manitoba. Share with us what the Richardsons and the Laceys saw in Prospera and why they were willing to finance it.
2: I'm not sure if it is exactly the Richardson family that is the Tantra Association, but he is related, part of that Richardson family, and he has uh, invested independently. So when I was telling the story, I said, you know, I I want to make sure that the the payables are addressed. We're not going to just put it into bankruptcy. Many of the prudent uh, investors, they stepped away, but there are few people that really supported, especially when... uh, when oil industries looked at the way it is now, you know, as opposed to the the land of milk and honey as before, Peter Lacy, his motto was treat the people the way you want to be treated, and he was very prompt in making sure that we made you know some of those debt settlement payment to local community, and he was very instrumental in 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 Helping me, assisting us, the power management team to attain those goals, uh, and to, to, to for us to get started. Uh, the Richardson, uh, his aspiration is to to make this company prosper as uh, as a leading company that is a green, clean energy company that reduces uh, uh, carbon emissions and captures carbon with bee pollination and he's got many initiative and he's going to come on as a, a consultant and a, a leader to convert this company and set it as a, a company that we set president as a green, clean energy producer. He, he, he calls it bee friendly company.
1: Nice. Thank you, Samuel. Shabam, uh, your group invested in Prospera. You took an equity stake, but you're also going to be working with Prospera to make it successful. Talk to me about the blue sky. Why did you get involved with Prospera?
0: Yeah, you bet. Uh, so I, I have a legacy position and then we participated in the recent private placement here uh, as per the news release. So when I looked at this property and the company, I mean, I've, I've got experience in heavy oil operating, in heavy oil field engineering. And really, when I used to operate these fields, they, I used to look at these wells and I'm like, wow, these wells are so close together, but they're all vertical uh vertically drilled so there's a lot of oil in place uh some of the wells i used to operate people uh who used to operate these wells 10 15 20 years ago were still there and they would reminisce they would say oh if only these fields weren't mismanaged we would have way more production there was this well that used to make 60 barrels per day and then something screwed up with the water injection and now it's making 3 barrels per day and i i always thought like this is really the technical Kind of challenge that any petroleum engineer would want to get into. And then I came upon Prospera. I had a chat with Sam and Chris there uh, earlier last year. And they, they were saying, oh, there's there's 400 million barrels of oil in place, and the recovery factor is only 8%. And I would you know, just start running numbers in your head and you go, wow, most analog fields are 20, 25% underwater flood. And some of the polymer floods can get up to 30, 35, 40% uh, recovery factors. So. There's a huge bank of oil that was in place in these three fields. And uh, as they say, the best place to drill for new oil is where the oil has already been discovered. So that oil being in the ground uh, just gives you that confidence that there's very low call it geologic risk. The oil is already in the ground. Major companies have spent millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, building out infrastructure, building pipelines, doing reservoir simulations. So we get to buy these properties here now after, as Sam mentioned, seven years of just death and destruction in the oil industry. And when oil prices are low, people give up their heavy oil assets because they are high operating cost assets. There's a differential on the oil. As soon as the well goes down, they say, oh, leave this. We'll deal with it when oil prices are $60, 70 $80 plus. So this field, I just saw the production on it, was just declining and declining, there were analog fields where where I I started doing some digging and production went up 20x in a period of two years. So like there was that much oil in the ground. It just needed the right uh, technical management team and it needed a little bit of capital infusion that could then cash flow and then you keep putting the money back in the ground. So uh, by the time that I came upon this story in call it, early 2022. Uh, Sam and Chris and the management team, uh, along with Brian and Dave, had had really executed. They had brought production back up. They had cleared up a lot of the legacy arrears. The ARO was going down. The NPV of the company went from negative three million to positive fifty-six million. So you always got to appreciate when when the management team actually is not just saying stuff; they're actually doing the right things that are then being audited by uh, the, the the reserve evaluators, the government of Alberta. And they're saying, okay, yes, we believe these numbers. You have done a good job. Continue this on. And at the same time, um, as as many of the viewers know, I've got quite a bullish outlook on oil. uh, And the heavy oil properties just make so much money with their low decline, uh, cash flowing sort of generation. There's a lot of low hanging fruit that can be brought back on uh, and generate a a lot of value. And along with that, as production in these reservoirs and fields go up, the operating cost per barrel comes down significantly. So compared to other companies that that already have really good operating cost, when you have a field where you're increasing production, uh, you have facilities that can already handle, call it seven, eight, ten thousand barrels per day legacy. Your operating cost coming down is akin to WTI price going up. So there's a double whammy in terms of the net back impact um, that that sort of you can have on it. So that that was what got me really interested um and then my conversations with management they you know we talked about horizontal drilling, we talked about the Aduro clean Tech upgrading of the oil which can generate 20 twenty five dollars above um, kind of the heavy oil price and of course Palmer flooding there are analog fields uh, including Cactus Lake that is a very very a successful polymer flood field uh with very similar characteristics as these uh, Cuthbert Harts uh, Hill and Looseland fields so, you know that down the road, this is always a possibility. There's new technologies that have come on since 2014, which which never got used, um, including horizontal drilling and geosteering technologies to make sure we're in the zone uh, for the entire length of the horizontal. So, you know, both from a technical standpoint and a valuation standpoint, it just made sense to enter the name. And I think, uh, given sort of my my reach and my background. Both as an engineer and and now in the capital markets uh, business development space, I think there's a great synergy here uh, between companies uh, and myself and my group to to really work together and and bring out the true value of these reservoirs. So um, that's that's kind of the the initial uh, reasoning for my entering, and I I look forward to really a successful uh, you know few years ahead because uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, and oil companies are not built in six months. It takes time especially with heavy oil, with water floods, with polymer floods, it takes time to to really figure out what's going on underneath the ground uh, and and just have this iterative process that you can use to extract the oil that's already in the ground, 400 million barrels of it, uh, of which 92% is still remaining.
1: Shabam, you give price targets on your, your website for the companies you invest in. Uh, right. To whatever degree you want to, can you talk about some price targets and some what-ifs if the company achieves a lot of these catalysts you laid out?
0: Sure, you bet. So I can kind of give you my, my absolutely blue sky target, and then we can let the people uh, you know, put sort of risk factors on that as they will. So if we agree that the company, call it two, two and a half years down the road, can get to 10,000 barrels per day, this is including uh, a little bit of horizontal drilling for sure, uh, some acquisitions along with the... Uh, a water flooding possibly and some other enhanced oil recovery, ten thousand barrels per day at a hundred WTI scenario, will cash flow roughly two hundred and twenty-five million dollars a year. <clears throat> so people don't like my eight times free cash flow targets for junior companies. They say maybe it's too aggressive. So let's run half of that. Let's run four times uh, free cash flow is 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 sort of what we should run. Keep in mind the capital cost is very low because of the low decline nature of these reservoirs so I call it 200 million of uh, free cash flow uh times four 800 million uh of 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 the I call it value per se and about 525 million shares outstanding so it gives you about a dollar fifty uh per share of uh of of uh, kind of price Target if you will if you want to run an eight times free cash flow model which I run for all my other companies, Uh, You end up getting about a $3 plus uh, share price target in in two and a half years. So, very significant uh, growth here. And if we want to look at it a different way of of net asset value, let's say uh, we can get recovery factors of 25, 30%, very conservative case over over decades, but we want the reserves evaluators credit for it. Um, 20, 25% gives us about 15% extra over what's already recovered, 15% of 400 million barrels, about 60, call it 60 to 80 million barrels, uh, depending on how successful the polymer floods and other EOR techniques are, and about a $10 to $15 uh, per barrel in the ground metric. So we end up with somewhere between uh, $900 million to $1.2 billion of value, which again brings me back to that, uh, call it 20-bagger number, which I I always uh, look for a 10x plus when I want to make these strategic private investments. And uh, I see the, the value here. I see the geology here. And I see a team that's that's been very competent. They've executed and now will continue to execute on, on sort of this, this iterative process, uh, including the horizontal drills, which have been uh, very successful. The latest one, where the fourth month production is higher than the third month production. And the third month production was higher than the second month production completely opposite to shale, where they just jack up these wells, and then it declines to oblivion. I want these long life cash flowing assets with very low decline that continue to produce forever, because that's how you build companies. You take the cash flow of that. And instead of having to make up for the decline rates, you can go and drill new wells, you can go and put new technologies in, you can go and make acquisitions. That's really what builds uh, oil companies. And if the oil price is even more cooperative than the $100 uh, WTI mark. I think I'll leave it to, uh, to the viewers' imagination as to how those numbers can really ramp up uh, over time.
1: Thank you, Shabam. Chris, you're the VP of Finance and Accounting. I'm sure you're a little more conservative than Shabam, but what numbers are you confident sharing in terms of the valuation of the company?
3: Well, you know, I, uh, Bill, thanks uh, for the great question. I tend to focus a little bit more on the metrics that, that we can control um, and that, uh, you know, within our power to be able to influence. And so, you know, the organization's mandate is not to not only to increase the production levels and continue to add uh, barrels per day um, and, and reserves at the same time, uh, but to really focus on controlling the operating costs. And Sam mentioned that this is a multi-year event here that we're looking at. Um, you know we've uh, for the first year have been able to reduce the operating cost from something in, in, in greater than sixty dollars per barrel uh, to down to somewhere in the late 30s with the you know targeted um uh, about 25 dollars per barrel after this second and third year of the reorganization are completed and so what we're we're, we're effectively doing as as Shabam states here is optimizing the netback and going through that process. So we're doing that on our heavy oil properties, really, really wanting to be the low cost producer. At the same time, we're diversifying our product mix. Uh, there's a new asset that was acquired last year, uh, the uh, Castles or the Brooks property, uh, which is a light to medium oil with very low operating costs, but higher net back as well. So we're, we're looking at control, not only controlling the operating costs, but also optimizing the margin through uh, product mix diversification.
1: And is there any hedging in place or Samuel, Samuel also, what's the role of hedging in Prosperous' future?
3: Well, currently,
2: there's no hedging uh, because we want to attain stability. Uh, you know, if you have a consistent, stable production of base production, uh, say, you know, thousand barrels a day without many vibration, throughout, you know, seasonal variation or other variation, then it'll give us comfort level to to do hedging. We're almost there. We're almost there. And uh, I think hedging, you know, if it's utilized properly, and at the right time with the right terms, uh, I think, on a quarterly basis, maybe you can expand into uh, multi quarters, but you have to be careful with hedging because it can bite you back but our focus is stability stability production once we attain that that we're not vibrating you know 700 to you know the uh, you know to 500 and all of a sudden back to 900 you we know, don't once we're consistent and stable
1: Chris did you want to add anything to that
3: Boy, oh, uh, you know, you asked me a little bit about the valuation component here as well. And um, and Chibon touched on it, right? We've had a significant increase in the two P reserves that were dated from last year, and we're just going through the process of updating those items as well. Uh, so we're expecting further increase on the reserve side. Uh, I'd also draw attention to the reserve life index. So the, previously we had a reserve life that was you know less than ten years outlook on these properties, and with four hundred million barrels in place, you know that's outrageous. Uh, so through the, the the process of updating the reserves the, through with a proper delineated you know proper development plan and an existing delineated field, I mean that's come up to twenty three years now as well. Um, so we're we're seeing increases um, kind of across the board.
1: Samuel, is there an analog company that uh, new investors to the story can look to as something that you're trying to accomplish or have elements of what you're trying to accomplish?
2: Sure. Uh, prior to that, I'm going to add uh, a few more comments to the reserves. Uh, <clears throat> one might wonder how did we appreciate the reserve from negative three million dollars to fifty four million dollars right off the bat? I mean, what magic did we do? well, What we did is, uh, first of all, there was 3D uh, seismic available for this entire property, and it was never uh, um, uh, processed and utilized. And So we went through and we did our geological assessment totally. Every single well, you know, we took our time. And we looked at the pressure regime, we looked at the viscosity regime, uh, you know, the, the variation and we developed our geological model, and we substantiated it with the seismic uh, interpreted model. And we also look at the the the, the beauty of legacy fields is that there's tremendous amount of data that you can utilize, and we supported with the with the historical production. But we didn't take full value of the entire thing. We kept our price. Uh, lower, uh, below $70, even though the price was more than $100. We didn't take the full markup. And so there's ample room to move as well. And as uh, Chris mentioned, there's 400 million barrels. We're only looking at a bunch of producing wells and what is remaining there and a couple more proven undeveloped locations. But there's a huge you know barrels of probable reserves, and we're converting that over this year. This year, we added the light oil property that was in, uh, included there. So there could be a, a significant appreciation in our NPV value uh, coming up, which reflects the opportunity. You know, the, the, the pie in the sky is the, the blue sky is that probable reserves, and you have to convert it, and that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, so we're excited about that. And it kind of consistent with what Shubham was saying. You know, there's 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 opportunity. There's that blue sky opportunity. Um, who are our peers and who we aspire to be? Gear is a good comparison. Uh, is, I'm not sure. Is the Gear Energy? But they're doing about um, uh, 4,500 barrels a day uh, and uh, maybe about 5,400 BOEs per day, 80% oil, just like us. They're located in uh, Lloyd Minister doing heavy oil, just like us. Um, their market cap is around $280 billion. Uh, so it seems like what we aspire to be is that, you know, they're a good comparison.
1: And then Hemisphere en- Energy, are they uh, having elements of what you're trying to accomplish as well with their uh, horizontal drilling?
2: Yes, there's, you know, there's Hemisphere, there's Southern, and there's few others uh, that are alike. But I I we particularly like uh, the model with the gear. And yes, Hemisphere is converting horizontal. Uh, and that's, that's a big part of our development.
1: Samuel, with the horizontal drilling, can you lay out the 2023 plan for the horizontals and what that could do for the company, please?
2: So initially, because of the the price and the widening of the Western Canadian select price and uh, and the higher service costs. Uh, we slowed down, we paused to catch up with all the vendors and and then look at what we've done, what is the unit cost, once the uh, you know lifting barrel costs and all of those things, we're doing that. We didn't want to get too far ahead with our push, push, push development. And then, and then the resources and the infrastructure is not keeping up. So our initial focus is going to be on the light oil because they're vertical wells and easy to bring on. And also, we we have delayed, not delayed, we have strategically positioned our horizontal well development for the summer so that you know there's less capital cost in drilling, uh, not during uh, severe uh, weather condition and cold winter conditions. Horizontal well. Uh, as Shubha mentioned, uh, traditionally companies drilled with reduced spacing because the, the 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 heavy oil does not travel as fast or as far enough. So they put a lot of numerous uh, vertical wells. It always puzzled me how did this vertical wells uh, uh, contribute to ten thousand barrels a day and uh, without a horizontal wells. And it took me a while to figure it out, but this. Reservoirs; these reservoirs, both they are such favorable conditions, very porous, and unbelievably uh, permeability three to five Darcy. What is permeability? It's the ability to transmit fluid, and um, so it's you don't have to frack it. You don't have to stimulate it. Even if you put some bad chemicals and drilling, mud and everything, it's going to come right back at you later because it is so porous and permeable. It's in a very favorable condition. But what it requires is energy pressure support uh, to, to maintain that piston to produce. So because it's horizontal and we have numerous vertical wells and we have 3D seismic, we can position nice horizontal wells Rather than two or three meters of uh, exposure in a vertical well, we're going to have 300, 400, 500, 600 meters of exposure to the uh, reservoir, and which which uh, translates in, into multiple product productivity index. Further, because we can reach out to the reservoir, we, don't, we can utilize existing surface leases and eliminate numerous surface leaves along the pathway. And that reduces huge fixed operating cost. Uh, and that will allow us, we, even though we said $25, it'll, it can allow us to get to that below $15, $10 a barrel. You know? But it takes time to realize that because we have to reclaim it. And reclaim we did. We abandoned nearly 60 wells so far already in the first year, uh, in, the, in the three year of uh, asset retirement uh, plan that we have to reduce this. And the other thing is, Reducing all these numerous locations reduces the environmental footprint that we have on the environment with numerous leases and roads. It reduces that. So, and we're gonna reclaim it with uh Richardson application of bee pollination and and quicker and faster and return to the farmers. These are the initiatives that the horizontal uh, transformation from a vertical development to the horizontal technology allows us to to reduce our costs and take care of the environment and be a green clean energy producer
1: you had the press release with the aduro clean tech Uh, could you describe your partnership with aduro and when should investors be expecting more news on what's going on with that it's
2: a good question you know they have a uh, technology, very confidential technology uh, that can uh, uh, reduce the heavy ends and then elevate the APF oil, both I believe in viscosity and density as well. And uh, But it is a pilot, so we have to uh, see how that works. But we're, we're testing it and they're designing their equipment uh, to be consistent with our uh, composition, our oil composition and fluid composition, and I and in the first quarter we're we're uh, we're planning out how to lay this out. I think the second quarter is uh, you can expect more uh, news regarding it. Further, we like to do this over the summer rather than in the winter condition as well. You know, in the Saskatchewan uh, uh, winter conditions in Alberta, it can get pretty severe.
1: And Samuel, then after that, will you begin to employ the enhanced oil recovery techniques that Shabam was mentioning with polymer flooding and such?
2: So, as uh, as Shabam mentioned, you know, with our reservoir development background, we don't have to wait the primary depletion. One should start supporting the reservoir, you know, after the first year, I would say, or within the first year. Uh, we are piloting uh, some some uh, improved recovery or enhanced recovery to provide uh, more energy for the reservoir. We're piloting it uh, this summer, the the first, towards the end of first quarter and second quarter. That doesn't require huge capital deployment of infrastructure or anything. We are going to do it with what we have, and uh, and simple and more localized rather than uh, and a huge pilot that's going to take consume incredible amount of capital. And I think it is it is, it is actually an optimum way of doing it. Uh, so we have uh, we have uh, we've been working on. Uh, methods that are conducive to a uh, reservoir and it's uh, consistent or have synergy with the infrastructure, so there's least amount of capital to be deployed. Yes, we are. Go- that is a big part of this reservoir management. While we put the horizontal wells, we have to maintain that piston and sweep, and we we will have that consistent uh, production with a very low decline, as uh, as uh, Subha mentioned. With the least amount of uh, uh, space that we need, minimum, and uh, that all translated into a large margin.
1: This two to two and a half year time frame in order to reach ten thousand barrels per day. Um, would you agree with that time frame? Is that pretty accurate for a growth story? The um, blue
2: sky. I, after subham finished his uh, uh, his talk, I almost went and invested it in Prospera. <laughs> <laughs> He does a pretty good job of it. I am well invested <laughs> into Prospera. Um The uh, ten thousand barrels a day is a, a you know huge target, um, but it, is is that doable? Yes, we have the reservoir here, and we have uh, the technology to do it, and we have the infrastructure to do it. It's execution. Uh, as I mentioned, we started in the middle of uh, two thousand twenty-one, uh, so we're like a year plus, a little bit into the game. So another two years. And we also have a strategic acquisition that is adjacent to the current core properties. Uh, so we have the assets to do it, and uh, we have the technology to do it. And uh, if the commodity uh, prices stay there, and the service pro- providers also cooperate uh, so that our economics are not lean, but you know uh, more, uh, robust then it's it's more for everybody and, you know we can continue our development and the service providers will also have continuous employment and it's going to be ongoing to attain that target a lot of production translates into huge margin as we reduce our opex. yes the opportunity is there
1: Chris what's the sunk cost for the assets that Prospera owns and what would also be the replacement cost value at today's prices
3: uh the sunk cost is really um the the dollars that have been put into it since you know since the reorganization started so these are the dollars associated with uh turnaround but also field work over and so on and so forth right so i mean we're talking uh in excess of 5 6 million dollars that have been put into the into the ground and uh in terms of upgrades to the existing equipment and uh, bringing the facilities to safe and operated operable conditions uh, from a replacement standpoint if you want to go out and replace any of these facilities these oil batteries to redrill these new wells so on and so forth i think we're talking about much larger dollars uh we're talking money in excess of probably 50 million dollars
1: to replace it and our market cap is 20 22 million right now as we chat correct and samuel Does- Yep. Would you the, like to add?
2: The infrastructure there's amazing. You know, I, I mean, and like you said, each battery could be tens and fifties of millions, and we have three of them. So,
1: and then what could our facilities uh, hold in terms of production? Could it hold the current facilities do 10,000 barrels per day?
2: Yes, it can. It's already built for that and it was done before. We have three uh, facilities. Uh, that has a capacity of 75,000 barrels plus, like 12,000 cubes a day and, and two 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 batteries. And there's another one that's about 5,000 barrels a day that can handle. So we, we have the infrastructure. Most of these, uh, two of these main properties are fully tied in as well. And they have automation systems as well. You know, it's a bit outdated. So we're working on all of that. We have the full infrastructure to accommodate our growth.
1: Shabam uh, you're an investor in the company as am I uh could you share your thoughts on the share structure as you mentioned already there's over five hundred uh, million shares fully diluted that of course will bring in a substantial amount of money when all the warrants are exercised but how do you view a share structure like that?
0: yeah you bet so this is always a concern I find with uh, junior oil and gas investors, especially those who have invested sort of in the past cycles they they see these companies and they and they just you know, oh, I don't want to you know get involved in these things. But when you really think about the job that Prosper has done, as you mentioned, without going into bankruptcy, uh, they they've cleared up all these legacy arrears, which were in the tens of millions of dollars. Uh, fixed up all the non-compliance with ARO, uh, with the AER, I should say, over hundreds of these non-compliances. This is just the way that these companies have to grow, and the way that I see is is almost like a bonus because in twenty twenty three. There's going to be over ten million dollars of warrants that are being exercised, so such that the company not only gets this money, where they can then start accelerating some of the growth plans uh, without having to, um, you know, have these these multiple pauses, which are good. Uh, but once the summer comes on, have that cash in the stockpile in the treasury to go and really execute on various things all at the same time, and then at the end of 2023. We end up with a structure that's that's very similar to other oil and gas companies, junior oil and gas companies, where you have about 80-85% shares in your basic count and about a 10 to 15% dilutive instruments uh, per se. And really, what, what gets me so excited about getting involved at this point in the company's growth, um, I still have my legacy position, of course, but but getting involved through the placement at this time uh, is that the company has achieved escape velocity. The company has got to the point where its own internal cash flow from these properties in an $80, $85 oil environment is funding every other thing. So they don't need to do any more raises. They now have the scale where, okay, we can go and have a debt financing facility of $2, $3, 5000000 million, if need be, to really accelerate these, these growth plans. So there's always this problem in Alberta and Saskatchewan, especially with the latest ARO regulations. With the fact that the banks have been like vultures during COVID time, they are not lending. They are charging 12, 15, 18% rates. They want you to put up bonds. Small companies that are sub 500 barrels per day have a really tough time, uh, you know, surviving and, and like I said, achieving that escape velocity to get out. And, And now that the company is there, you know, the growth is, is really self funded. Uh, we came in with a with an equity investment here to to help the company out and and to participate as a as a larger uh, equity shareholder in the company. And uh, you know once once you get to that point, and if commodity prices are supportive, we don't need two hundred fifty dollars WTI. We need this eighty to hundred dollar range is is more than sufficient. And if we get more than that, it allows us to then use that money to to maybe make acquisitions to d- go and further accelerate. Uh, the activity. So if the commodity price are supportive and where the company is now, the cash flow just speaks for itself. it'll it'll keep going back in the ground. Uh, the production base is very low decline uh, as Sam mentioned. and then the new wells, I really like the way the new wells are being managed uh, by this company. A lot of companies they will they will want to show these nice IP 30s, nice IP60s, and then go and fool some some private equity fund into investing in them, and then you find out even the heavy oil, There's water coning, there's water channeling, and you screw up the entire reservoir. And and in this case, I'm quite confident in the management team that they're producing these wells very slowly. We don't want any water intrusion. We want the nice high oil cuts. Uh, We don't want to deal with water disposal, water uh, infrastructure and management. Let the wells kind of produce itself. And as we drill more wells, we're going to learn more about what is the optimum horizontal length What is the optimum uh, drilling techniques? What is the optimum pump size? What sort of pump jacks or PCP pumps should we be be using? So um, all that iterative process is just a benefit uh, to to the way the reservoir is going to be produced. Because as you see in other heavy oil reservoirs, uh, call it in the Clearwater, in some of the Lloydminster area, in the Sparky that other companies are doing, we're seeing well results that are... Up to 100 percent 150 percent better than ever drilled before so the new technologies are really working in very strongly and on top of that we have things that we haven't even discussed like a call it a solvent injection like chemical solvents have gotten so good these days that you can go and and really clean up some of these wells some of these legacy wells might have a tubing full of wax and asphaltines that's blocking the entire flow so even if you get the well online now we need to do some sort of batching process uh, with chemicals, we can do other other sorts of technologies like injecting uh, some of these live bacteria down the well and see if they can eat up some of these heavier uh, carbon chain molecules, free up that reservoir. So there's a lot of things that can be done as the company goes on. And as Sam mentioned, I love the fact that we're only testing on small portions of the field, very low capex, very low risk, if it works, Then we start a program that then starts putting those technologies into the entire field. And then we move field from field from field. field. Um, And at the same time, there are very nice acquisition opportunities where other companies have just given up, A, because they don't have capital, and B, because they don't know how to operate heavy oil fields. There is a very significant lack of knowledge uh, in these heavy oil fields as time has has uh, gone on. Some of these fields were developed in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. Those individuals have retired. And, and as you know, there's there's a lack of petroleum engineers anyway. And the ones that are here want these big, you know, sexy offshore plays. They want these shale wells. They want these clear water. They have no idea how to manage these two, three, five, seven barrel per day wells. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm very glad uh, that that Sam and Chris and Brian, especially, and Dave as well are are part of this team because this this kind of expertise is very difficult to find. It's going to be even more difficult to find going forward. Uh, and I'm here, like I said, not just as an investor, but as a petroleum engineer, as a business developer, and also you know using these individuals as my mentors to learn more about the heavy oil fields. Because I think we want to produce oil from where oil has already been discovered. That is your best bet. And uh, some of these enhanced oil recovery techniques if they're successful can be implemented in various other heavy oil fields in Alberta and Saskatchewan and uh, to have a company that's that's kind of has has again i keep repeating myself has a skip, has achieved that escape velocity allows us to be the first movers and really take advantage of the cycle you know both both from generating money from making acquisitions from growing production and uh you know appreciating the share price at the end of the day
1: your enthusiasm comes through, uh, Shabam, and it's contagious.
0: <laughs> Samuel, any follow up thoughts on
1: that?
2: Oh, it's well said. Uh, you know, he's talking about the maturity, like Brian, he's got about 45 years of uh, experience. I just went for lunch with him the other day. He goes, I've done all of this nobody ever asked me this you know and 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 just he's got a wealth of knowledge about everything in especially these fields and uh, I myself is approaching you know another three years uh, uh, you know retirement as well so Shubham is right there's lack of uh, experienced individuals in the industry and we do recognize these kind of uh, opportunities uh, that is already well positioned with infrastructure tremendous amount of legacy data. And uh, we just got to do the right thing. And there's a window of opportunity with the prices and, and the current economic conditions.
1: Chris, any final thoughts for you? You know, I think, um,
3: as we've talked about in the interview, and uh, we've uh, published kind of in the news previously, is that 2022 was, was the first year uh, real full year of the reorganization and has really set the organization up to be able to move forward positively in 2023. I'm really excited to see what's gonna happen over the next couple of years. And you can see just through Shabam's comments here as to why. So uh, no, I, I wanna thank you for allowing us to, to be uh, uh, participate in this discussion.
1: Well, and thank you, Chris. For- thank you, Samuel. Thank you, Shabam. Yeah. I'm an excited shareholder along with Shabam. The company's website is prosperaenergy.com ticker symbol on the venture in toronto is pei and the current ticker on the otc in the states is g x r f f that could be changing so just be aware of that but it is currently purchasable on the otc thank you gentlemen for coming on the show today thank you thank you